Hello and welcome to the Keep Streaming Buddy Podcast with me, your host, Carl Coleman. I'm super psyched for today's episode. I'm speaking to Danish cinematographer Charlotte Bruce Christensen. I've been trying to get her on for a while now and it's finally happened and I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. Charlotte is such an interesting woman. She's worked with everyone. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson, Kevin Costner, Jessica Chastain, you name it. She's done it all. She tells us some crazy stories about working with Denzel Washington, Thomas Vinterberg, all sorts of stuff. So can't wait for you to hear this one. Don't forget to subscribe to Keep Streaming Buddy on Apple Podcasts or whichever service you use. And if you have any fun ideas for episode themes or guests, or even if you just want to talk shit about movies, please don't hesitate to hit me up at info at palacewinter.com or on our Instagram page. But enough of all that. It was a total thrill and an honor to have her on. So here's my great convo with Charlotte Bruce Christensen. Welcome to the Keep Streaming Buddy podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. So just tell us, how are you and where are you in the world? Um, I am good, <laughs> except from away from my from my family, which right. happens sometimes. Um, and I am currently sitting in a lovely hotel called Casa del Mer, which is right on Santa Monica Beach in Los Angeles. So that's... Can't complain. It's a yeah. nice place to like, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. just showed me the view and it's just pretty breathtaking, like the classic kind of iconic Californian vibe. Surfers getting ready to paddle out, palm trees, the whole shebang. The I'm whole very shebang. Je- very actually, jealous. It's it's end of February, but it's um it's twenty five degrees wow. every day. So it's it's a really nice really nice climate. And then in a few days I'm gonna drive up north a little bit north to a little town called Carmel which is Monterey so I'm gonna take the car and drive five six hours north um where we're gonna do a little bit of filming but are you just to go back a little bit are you are you from Copenhagen did you grow up here I grew up in a little town about an hour south of Copenhagen called Svabot which is um close to between Marimbor and Nestville um on Sealand so I grew up at a farm um so my dad's a dairy farmer and my mum's a hairdresser and and they've got no connection to Hollywood or filmmaking whatsoever. <laughs> whatsoever. Wow, um, okay. So I grew up in Denmark. When you were, so growing up on a farm, was there a film that you saw or, or something that happened that made you sort of think, I want to go and do this or, or did that come much later, later in life? How did you get into film? Um, yeah, I am. Um, no, I mean, f- watching films were, you know, going to the cinemas was sort of a, a yearly event, you know, like a birthday present or something like that. So it right. wasn't, I wasn't sort of introduced to, to cinema early. It, it was something that just were there, but you weren't really sort of thinking about it. My, my, my dad loves Westerns. Okay. So it was more sort of, you know, watching it on the TV, you know, he would watch the same three best and Westerns. And back then, you know, they would put the good old movies on TV more often than today. Um, Cause there was probably less to choose from. 
Um, but so I do sort of remember him getting way into the big sort of Hollywood Western movies. Interesting. Uh, and my brothers were very, very sort of excited about Indiana Jones and all the sort of classics. But I weren't sort of, you know, I'll watch it and I'll be excited about it. But it wasn't like I was called through watching movies. Um, okay. It was more a, it was more a thing of for me taking photographs. I remember, you know, borrowing slash stealing my parents' little 35 millimeter camera. And, and I would go out and take photographs, like 10 or 12, 15 little photographs. And I would print them out and get them sort of lined up on a piece of paper and they would tell a little story. Ah. So it was sort of a more of a sort of instinct that this thing of, you know, they would all be little stories about, you know, my na- nightmares, you know, we were going to lose the farm and some rich people were going to take it over or something like that. So I'd have my brothers put on shiny shoes and I'd do clothes above shiny shoes and, you know, and a wow. expensive looking bag or th- stuff like that. Yeah. And a cow that looked ill or things like that, you know. So it was, I remember it quite clearly showing to my parents and they were like, oh, that's an interesting <laughs> hobby. Um <laughs> And then um, my dad sold, we had another farm where he had pigs. And then uh, he sold that farm, sold the pigs, and then sold the farm to a film composer, a Danish film composer and a famous film director, uh, Hansek Philip and Vibeke Gell. They bought the farm and they had horses and uh, Philip was riding horses and I was, you know, around 12 um still so just that time where I was doing these photographs. I mean, sure. we, we started sort of riding out in the Danish landscape together and he was t- he was telling me about his job which was composing music for films and t- and television and he was talking about how he would sort of interpret a script and how he would work with the director and how he'd sort of translate it into tunes and stuff like that so and, and then I think he sort of saw something in me or you know saw these photographs and stuff and he said you know there's actually a job where you do that there's actually a job where you uh, where you tell um but that was quite early on, and then <clears throat> later on in life, I, I sort of realized that you know that that is quite interesting. Yeah. Um. So I um. So he introduced me. I went to New Zealand for a year, just okay. walked around on my own, my eighteen, nineteen years old, just hiked both islands on my own. Wow. And took a million of photographs, and when I got back, um, Philip, you know, gave me a contact at the Danish Film School, and so I went there and just did you know some running jobs uh making coffees sure for the guy for the first three gradation films just really observing the photographer or didn't dare to tell anybody they wanted to i really wanted to become a cinematographer um mm. it was, i was too scared and also because i was always told girls you know girls don't really do that so you know maybe maybe you should look into production or so i was quite scared telling anybody so i just did it sort of silently yeah yeah but then you ended up studying in England, right? You went, you went to a prestigious film school over there. Like, how did you end up there and not in Denmark at a Danish film school? Well, I applied in. I, I went to, um, I saved up some money. I went to the European Film College in Abeltoft, um, which was just a wonderful playground. And also you could sort of, you know, I could finally sort of tell people that, you know, I'd like to do the cinematography courses. But you, you obviously do all the other courses as well, which was it's just an amazing place for young people to explore. And so coming out of there, I applied to the Danish film school mm. and the English film school and the Danish film school. I got whatever, three, four rounds in and then they, they kicked me out. Okay. Didn't want me. And, it's and, quite um, hard to get in, isn't it? To the Danish one. It's hard to get in. And I remember the, 
the round that I was kicked out was my sort of the my overall knowledge. And I remember there was some questions about classical musicians and I I had no idea and it was obviously something you were supposed to know and I was like I don't know uh and and there were some questions where like I I wasn't prepared at all for that sort of sort of thing and that apparently had a really bad score and didn't move on which was I think not the right reason to you know to not move on um and um but I moved on uh on the on the on a test in the European in the National Film and Television School in England, and and ended up getting in there. So so yeah, that was quite okay. and a bit of a wild card, I think, because you it's a Master of Arts, the MA, so you're supposed to have a Bachelor, which I didn't have. Right. So I think there was some compensation. Sure. Wild card. And that's great. Something. Very lucky. Well, I want to sort of get into. Um, yeah, some of the work that you've been doing. And I thought it would be cool to start with one of the more recent pieces, which is Black Narcissus, which is also your directorial debut, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Um, have you seen it? Yeah, of course. Oh, you have? Oh, wow. How did you get to see that? Because it's so hard with the BBC to get the... Yeah, I, I, um, I ended up doing a little bit of a cheeky VPN sort of action and finding it on the BBC. and But... So, just to give people a little rundown, it's an adaptation of a quite a famous book from the 30s, I think. Um, yeah. It's, it's a pretty amazing story. Like, it's a group of nuns trying to establish a convent in the Himalayas who, who sort of gradually go mad in the process. <laughs> um, yeah. And, yeah. And it was actually a film in the, in the 40s, which was also quite famous. Um, now, Classic, yeah. Yeah. Why did you want to make a piece about this book and, and what was it about this story that drew you to it? Um, well, that is a good question. Why on earth? You know, it's a terrible thing. Very bad idea to remake a, a classic. You know, it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna change your life. Uh, but I mean, uh, well, well, I had a phone call from, or actually, I had an email from a from a producer that I had worked with uh, on on Far from the Madding Crowd, a, an English project, and we got along really well. And he'd said since we made that movie, one day, you know, maybe you should maybe you should try and direct something. And don't you think you have it in you? And and it's been sort of lot, lots of people have said that for a while. Um, Emily Blunt, after doing Girl on a Train, kept saying, mm. you should do something, we should do something together. And and I was like, no, 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 no. You know, I I love, I, and I still do, I love cinematography. I am a cinematographer and it's it's where my passion is. But it's obviously very close to directing. Sure. And so anyway, I get this email and we have a conversation. It's like, I'm not ready. It's not, it's not what I want to do. And he sent the script and said, why don't you just read the scripts or read the novel? And I read the novel and I was just blown away. <laughs> it I was bet, yeah. sort of right down my sleeve. And it, I just I just found it really, it's it's a it's a phenomenal written uh, uh, book. And and the way she sort of describes this environment and how it's sort of the Himalayas and and the thin air and the and the views and all of it sort of becomes too much for these nuns. I was so you know interested in that whole thing of these nuns, all of them actually their religion and what they're doing is really a personal escape, mm. you know. And then they hiding all you know hiding who they really are. Yeah, there's all I these sort of sexual undertones, and it's very like of its time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and Clodagh, our main character, is is a is a woman who's just born in the wrong place at the right time. You know, he's she's born in Ireland in whatever 1910 or something like that, mm. where you know sexuality is extremely 
suppressed. You know, you're not supposed to, to you know, I have to get married. It's a, it's a mortal sin if you have sex before marriage and, you know, you marry who your parents want you to marry and all that business. And she is just her DNA and in her genes, there is just a, a very uh, sensual and, and um, uh, emotional, you know, young woman who can't, who can't not chase her desire. She's, she's has all these, you know, desires for men and, and obviously she goes off and do things that she can't do. And so there's a whole backstory, but so basically, you know, she's running away from that, from that uh, woman who, who just is drawn to physical contact and sure. men. Um, but this place sort of makes them all see and sort of, return to who they really are and they can't they can't hide it mm. um and i thought you know there is something about it it's a very very old-fashioned piece extremely you know you couldn't change it it's got to be said in the 30s you know it's quite i don't want to say cheesy but close to you know there's a beautiful man living at the you know at the foot of the hills or the mountains yeah. with mr d you know and obviously he comes up and has to sort out the toilet and things like that and it's like it's 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 sort of cheesy but it's also really quite wonderful i thought mm. you know and i i thought this whole escape thing for young women and men you know today through instagram and you know you're trying to project you know who you really want to be and how you want people to see you and you know young girls taking photos of their whatever clothes in right. their cupboards and cheats how their apartment looks and how <laughs> they look and and all that stuff and you're like well who are you you know that's not you right. um so anyway i just i just thought that's interesting and i like mm. that it's not i like that it's such a old-fashioned piece that is somehow relating to a very uh you know a, an issue that's going on today as well in a different setup yeah so interesting um but you because the original film like one he they, they won an oscar for cinematography did you <laughs> yeah did yeah. that sort of put oh, the pressure oh. on <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely did. And I obviously when I sort of got fascinated with the book and thought, okay, you know what? Out of curiosity and you got one life, you know, maybe I should just try this. And I thought, but at that point I wasn't gonna shoot it, you know. So I thought, sure. well, somebody else can deal with that pressure. <laughs> okay. Ah, oh, that's <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't supposed to shoot it. I just thought, you know, I'll I'll find the right person and we'll we'll figure it out. And uh, but obviously it was a it was a huge thing that this is this is a classic and how do you how do you remake a classic it's always mm. going to be a failure and i i sort of told myself well don't think of it as a remake it's a rethink and yep. it's and it's deserves 70 75 years later to have a rethink from people that are born at this time so i sort of persuaded myself that it's okay sure. and that you know and that you don't take away the old movie i know there's always going to be people who get upset but but that film is always there and I thought, well, if we do it with respect and we don't, I sort of decided to not, not uh, go into it thinking, oh, I got to, I got to just make it different. I got to just make it something else so people don't get upset. I thought that's not the way I, I rather want to respect it and do what's true to the story and true mm. to the novel and which they had done as well. So in some ways, you know, I, it, it didn't become that different, but it is a completely different piece still. But in tone, it, it's down the same sort of alley. Yeah. And I thought, you know, it's more respectful than to just use all my energy trying to make it different, which then weren't. It wasn't going to be a handheld modern piece with fast editing and things sure. like that. Yeah. 
I, I tried to sort of just stay true to the story. So. Yeah, I think you did. And I think, um, yeah, it's so cool to get your insight on that because it feels like such a healthy attitude in, in how you approached it because, yeah, because of this sort of pressure that comes with uh, yeah. reapproaching a, a classic. So I think a lot of it was shot in Nepal. Is that correct? We shot two weeks in Nepal, in the mountains. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we shot all of the... So most were shot in England on Pangwood Studios, and then we were we built the actual palace out on a parking lot um, at Bovingdon in the UK as well. Okay. But sure. all the obviously the, the nuns traveling from Darjeeling up into the mountains, the, you know that journey, and um, all the little sort of walks between the palace and Mr. Dean's hut bungalow and the little village, you know we we shot in Nepal. Um, yeah. We actually built. Mr. Dean's hut, the exterior of it, we built in the mountains, which were quite, <laughs> quite difficult wow. to get together. But um, so yeah, we we tried to, which is which is different from the old movie because they shot, which is impressive. They shot everything at Pinewood. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. They had old mountains and glass paintings, um, and they didn't have a you know that many uh, Nepalese people, so they sort of just put some different face color in their faces. Everything was sort of created in England okay. um, where we had the opportunity and we felt that was an important piece was to, you know, not try and match what they did, but but do what we can do today, yeah. which is travel there and actually shoot there and, and bring sort of reality to the. And then we actually shot all the plates. So we picked an area where and a huge amount of work went into this, obviously, sort of figuring out what the where the palace should be and this some path and, you know, building in all the the elements that we needed so uh, mm. on on the set at uh, the exterior set at bovington we sort of the border was where the holy man is placed so we built his tree this there's, there's yeah. this this man a sannyasi he's called uh, a holy man sitting by a tree just as they sort of as you sort of enter the palace yeah. looking out into the most beautiful view so it's also a story of you know clash of religions and and hinduism and buddhism sort of looking to that more colorful world and and it's all about the freedom and 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 the nuns you know in their white costumes yeah you know putting all all these rules over their heads um and hinduism there are no rules you know you make your own rules certain rules but it's not is in a very different way sure it's funny you say colorful because it is a very sort of it is a very colorful piece it's a it's very vibrant yeah. in its colors yeah yeah that was one of the dis- in the book that she described you know the palace and the people like a bowl of fruit right you know where the nuns are colorless you know yeah. white so sort pale. of their costume and their pale faces up against mm. this there's this wonderful character called Kenchi who we really she is like inside out like a colorful uh personality you know that yeah a bowl all of fruit you know just want to hug her and kiss her and everything but yeah anyway there's there's a lot of contrasts in there sure um but Gemma Gemma Arterton she was the lead wasn't she yeah she was great I thought she was really convincing but I really liked Alessandro Nivola as Mr. Dean yeah I think he's he's sort of a lot more versatile than a lot of people would realize I think he's he's an interesting dude because at first I thought why do I know this guy you know and then I was like Oh, he's the brother from Face Off with Nicolas Cage in, in the, from the 90s, which was, you know, sort of doing my head in. Um, 
but I really thought he was great and and really subtle, really subtle. Like it, yeah. it's so, it's yeah. kind of cool that a guy like that can play like a heartthrob. You know what I mean? So yeah. I thought he was yeah. really cool. It was a very difficult. It's a very difficult part to cast, you know, because you know if you get someone, not that we could have him, but if you have someone sort of Brad Pitt, it's just going right. to be oh. Bradley Cooper or somebody would be like okay um yet you've got to have somebody who's got that you know charm and that sort of uh you can carry it because it's a very difficult part um, sure. he, he did it brilliantly I, I really you know big big fan of him I agree um digital versus film do you have a preference and and do you are you like a one camera two camera person is this is this something that plays a huge role for you, like whether it's digital or film? Oh yes, um, I am film and one camera. Okay, <laughs> very old school. Cool. Um, I love film. Um, I fought to shoot like my sisters on film, but in the end, you know, the TV rules and budgets and timings and everything just didn't let us go there. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I always play to one camera, and I find it, you know, there is, there is always that thing of the the right cam you know right position for the camera and if you sort of make well that could be two it's just like well then there isn't one right place you know it's yeah. like I, it's just a way i go with that there is one place to try and find for for this to tell the story so i do use two cameras when there's a space and when it works for lighting yeah but second camera is always like you know picking up things or you know little extra gifts um so the story is always told through one camera, and then you get sometimes get additions. Very yeah. cool. I wanted to I wanted to clear that up because we probably yeah. won't get too yeah. tech on this podcast specifically, but I find that stuff really interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I really want to rewind a little bit, if that's cool with you, to a little bit yeah. back in the, back to the start a little bit with um, Submarino, which I actually just rewatched. So this was the beginning of your partnership with Thomas Vinterbardi. And also, it was your first film, wasn't it, Submarino? It's my first feature film, yeah. 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 It revolves around two brothers who meet at their mother's funeral, each sort of on their own path to self-destruction and both haunted by a tragedy that happened in their youth. So there's a lot of alcoholism and abuse. And it's a very... It's a very heavy film. It's a very tough watch in a way, which is, it he, is. he loves the slow knife, Thomas Vintervay, yeah. doesn't he? He really <laughs> likes to sort of just Perfect. bring Absolutely. the pain. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, the acting in this is like kind of breath, like it's astonishing. Like everyone is amazing in it and, and even the kids. Yeah. Um, but it's also like very moving and, and a real you know, a real tearjerker as well. Um, yeah. But looking back now, like after what must feel sort of like a whirlwind of a decade of work for you, um, yeah, yeah, does yeah. it feel does it feel like a lifetime ago? And when and when do you when you think back to it, what are some of the memories of making that film? Yeah, it does and it doesn't. You know, it's it it. I, when I think about the work that I've done since then, it feels like a lifetime. Sure. But when I think about the experience, it. I remember it like it was a week ago. Wow! And because I, I, uh, I love that film. It is one of my favorite films. I, yes, it's dark and and I don't want to watch it sort of just on a Saturday night. You know, right. it's something that it's like a Parkman film. You, it's not like something you throw on just to sort of get get chilled down or anything. Like, <laughs> it's a very dark 
piece, but it's also very, very truthful. And I think that, you know, it was made in a very sort of minimalistic way, you know, very small crew, small money, small lighting package, small everything. And it's and somehow I think it actually created more space and, and attention to, to the story. Um, mm. So I think it was the right way of making it. You know, if you made that in the States, it, it, it couldn't, we wouldn't have reached that deep under the skin, I think. That, that in, intimacy, like, yeah. Time, you know, maybe we had six weeks more and maybe you could, but uh, what do I know? But but it was, I do remember it uh, as a very, very special piece um, and experience. And also because it was my first yeah. film, you know, and it was, it was a very intense uh it was a very intense shooting at the same time. It was such a happy crew. It was such a happy experience. You know, mm. everybody was not sort of, we didn't go into a dark hole, all of us. But I think everybody loved making it and had a lot of fun. Um, and it's interesting, you, I just did a podcast with Team Deacons. I don't know if you've heard them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've just done that. And, and they started, and I wouldn't prepare for it, they picked on, on Submarino as well. So it's it's interesting how it does have, uh, an effect on people who make the decision. It's almost like you have to make a decision to see this movie, you know. So I don't think a lot of people have seen it around the world, but, but um, yeah. I, I think I originally went in quite. I underestimated that, like you say, you've got to make it. Like I think I did in a way throw it on, and then I was like, oh, within about fifteen minutes, you realize that. Oh, okay, this is yeah. This is going to like leave a mark on me, you know. <laughs> yeah. I know it's a big star. But your your cinematography, it feels like a character in in the film. Like it, because it, it's so it plays this kind of lovely, it plays to their bleak world, you know, that yeah. all the characters they have this very, you know, small universe that they're in and it's very yeah. bleak for all of them basically. It's very bleak and very uh very dark and very ugly in a way, you know, yeah. which is always difficult to make, you know, to create a world that is rather ugly. Um, and and that means, I mean that in sort of in to them and to us watching it, it's not necessarily sort of the photographic things, but this, it's a, it's a, it's a very rough world. And I mm-hmm. think, the, you know, the conversations that I had with Thomas about, you know, the look was that we wanted, we wanted it to feel almost like you're, uh, you're drowning, you know, in society. There's a, you can't breathe. You sort of, sort of can't get to the surface. There is no sort of pop through or or, or air, you know, mm. except from those little scenes where, you know, where they're in church, really, where somebody's either coming to the world or dying. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the opening scene where they have this little baptism with the with the younger brother is a very bright scene. It is. Light. It's, it's so, like, haunting and pretty, yeah. Yeah, and then there is a scene where the mother dies in the middle, which is also sort of bright. Suddenly, you're like, as if there is an opening to mm. the sky, which I guess death is in a way. Right. And it's changing because at some point, you know, one chooses to die because it probably is a better place in the end. And so there's something about this, um, the level of light and, and that sort of feeling underwater, sort of drowning in, in society. And also because of the title, Submarino, you know, it's... Uh, military method where you know if, if you've been through terrible things and you know they hold their head underwater and they release sort of the the second before you 
you die and they sort of said to be you know, the closest you get to rebirth far sort of out thing okay so the title also had something to do with water so that's where the sort of blue green yeah. greenish color i was just from. about to touch on that the grading's really grainy as well which really sort of appeals to my taste personally did you yeah. do you yeah. storyboard like when you're doing prep do you sit with the director and really are you like a storyboard yeah, I mean, we shot on 16 millimeter, so okay. we had that natural grain. Um, this one, we it wasn't storyboarded as a professional sort of storyboard artist comes in and, and we do something and then we shoot it. But Thomas and I actually storyboarded it in our own way. And I think it was, it was as much a way of, you know, here are two people. I hadn't done anything before. You know, he's done a lot. And who are you and who am I and how do you see it? And so it was right. a way of us to sort of sit down so we just did it ourselves and just very sort of basic stick men, uh, you know, drawing out what we had in mind. And really it was, we did it and then they were sort of thrown away a little bit, but it gave us a way into the project and a way for us to communicate and, and to understand each other. And, and so it, it was sort of very precisely prepped, um, but I don't think that it was sort of uh, that we, we, we did it that way you know i sure. think we sort of still opened up and said well if everything else goes wrong we have these drawings that we can look at okay um, so so it's state you kept it loose like you could walk down yeah. to a copenhagen street corner and go oh this is a cool location like we could is that how it works or yeah well i mean no we yeah i mean we did all the location with a small movie when you sort of do your scouting and stuff yeah, like that yeah. you pretty much stick to it but but in terms of camera angles and how to how to tell the story i think we did we did keep it not loose, but we kept open-minded. Yeah, you know. So yeah. I think we sort of looked for what we had in what we had drawn, but then added added to it and sort of let it, you know, kept letting it expand in a way. So cool. Well, I mean, so sort of assuming that Submarino sort of launched your career, so so you're off and running by now, and then it didn't really. I think I think that sort of came more with a hunt. Um, yeah was- okay that was a bit of a that was a bit of an international hit wasn't it and so that was the second piece you did with yeah. thomas vinterberg and prior to our interview you said that that felt like a bit of a turning point in your or some sort of milestone in your career do you want to elaborate on that a little bit um yes i mean it did because it 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 well it went worldwide you know yeah. today wherever i go you know, and I mentioned the hunt. It's like, did you shoot the hunt? You know, it, it feels like everybody has seen that film, yeah, which is yeah. incredible. Um, you know, I whatever I go to Los Angeles, I go to to London or wherever. Pe- people see seem to have seen that film. Um, mm. And it's such a strong story. You know, it's not necessarily a, a visual piece. Um, we made it much more sort of a documentary world and. And um, again, again, it's not, isn't, isn't ugly. There's something ugly about it. You know, there's something unpleasant. There was something horrible about what happens in this story. And I think yeah. we were, and Thomas especially, was very keen to not make it, uh, you know, a, a postcard. Sure. And, um, and so it, whatever, whatever we did, it really, I think the storytelling and the visuals and what we did, it really became sort of one. Um, and it's just wonderful when it happens that, you know, it's not, you know, a bad film that's beautifully photographed or the other way around, yeah. you know. Ter- it just really sort of, 
did its thing together. And I yeah. think we we just managed to really connect on, you know, what is this scene about? Why are we doing it this way? Why do we not use any lights? Why do we use lights? Why why do we want it to just feel flat and you know, like all the scenes in the in the kindergarten, mm. they're pretty sort of um yeah, as if you walk into a kindergarten. There's yeah, nothing yeah. moving about it. It's very documentary and very real it's realism. They stay with in, you somehow in, though, now that you mention it. I can still they're the images that pop in my head of the kindergarten. Yeah, <laughs> but it's so flat in a way. It's right, so right. what a kindergarten looks like yeah. if you step into it like oh it looks like the hunt you know so you haven't made the sort of uh, conversion of it it just it's just very one-to-one but as you go on into the movie when things and that's his happy time you know when he right. works there and life normal and stuff and it's really normal and then when things get really ugly for him it's almost like we made it slightly more i don't want to say prettier but more created and more you know, dip more with the lights and mm. and things like that. So it it sort of takes a turn and it 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 grows into something more created um, sure. as he sort of goes down. Yeah. Uh, but it it is a film that really did change things for me because it was it was um, it did really well across yep. the board. Yeah. Simple as that. <laughs> I won a million awards and I won yep. you know, some significant awards with it, and so it just suddenly suddenly doors opened for me. Yeah. So cool. So cool. I um I mean I really wish we had enough time to to talk about everything you've done, but I've sort of got a select few. Um, so <laughs> so you you then go on to do a number of things, but uh, one of them includes a, a James Dean piece called Life by Anton Corbin, who's famous in sort of my <laughs> industry, yeah. the music industry, for for being a really interesting music video director. Um, but the one I really wanted to touch on next was yeah fences which is directed by denzel washington you were cinematographer on this one it's a it's a it's a quite a famous play written by august wilson in the 80s i think 84 or something yeah i think it was in the 80s yeah and he died then early 2000s or something 2010 I'll, I'll I'll just give a quick little rundown for my millions of listeners, <laughs> um, but it's yeah it's Den- directed by Denzel Washington. It stars himself as the lead, and then Viola Davis is the supporting actress who went on to win the Oscar for that pretty amazing performance. Um, it's about a working class African American father, ex baseball pro. He's trying to raise his family in the fifties in sort of. He's coming to terms with the events of his life, but and and it's sort of in this industrial Pittsburgh, isn't it? Pittsburgh, I think. Yeah, Pittsburgh. Okay, yeah. Um, it's it's more or less entirely set in the one house, just like the play. Uh, yeah. And it's a really powerful film. Like my wife and I really loved it, and yeah, it really. I mean, the the performances alone, you know, are just worth worth the watch. But also your really intimate cinematography. Um. We were, we were curious as to who won Best Actor that year because we were like, "Hang on a second. I know. <laughs> it, it turns I know. out it turns out it was it was um, Casey Affleck. Became we were both we both agreed. My wife and I, Emily, who's also she's a script supervisor. She's in your biz. She we both agreed that he was robbed. He was it was daylight was robbery. Robbed. You should look at look 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 it up. Look at the Oscars that year, and okay. you can just. Denzel because normally when when you don't win everybody's like oh yeah right. whatever and he does not do that <laughs> he's just like sitting there 
you can see that was robbery. He was just, yeah. oh, he so deserved it. And he almost knew he was going to win it. It was terrible because he, I mean, that is a, that is an Oscar performance. You know, oh, man. He, I mean, it, it really is. It's funny because I heard Nicole Kidman uh, in, in an interview and she said, like, that's the number one uh, actor on her list that she still hasn't worked with that she's like, I cannot stop until I work with him, you know, like. Yeah, he's this yeah. sort of he's he's this sort of larger than life character. Um, but anyway, just back to just back to the cinematography. So so being in this more or less one location in this house, tell us about that. What what were the challenges in regards to telling this story and and keeping the viewer engaged? I guess. Oh, there was a lot of challenges. Uh, I mean, the first challenge is to work with Denzel Washington when you right. when you. Well, you've done two movies sort of thing and then and then you pick we'll, through this we'll go there go there for us because i mean that stuff's fascinating did you feel um, out of your depth or i don't know how on earth i got that job i i was I just finished girl on the trains it was my first movie in the states and sort of 10 days before wrapping i get this call from my agents going like guess what denzel washington has showed interest in you and he happens to be in new york um and he's interviewing people could you could you go and meet him in his flat and I was like, wow. uh, well, yeah, I mean, what is it and stuff? And they sent the script and it's like, a, it, the script was whatever, really long, 160 pages or something. And it was basically a play. And I'm not sure I sort of really got it the first time I read it. Sure. Um, I read it again and I, and I went for this interview thinking, am I, you know, is he ticking a box sort of thing? I mean, you can't help yourself but think, you know, good thing to, 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 to meet a female DP also and stuff. So I, I was a little sort of like, this can't be, it can't be because he wants to meet me. It must be because they're What's ticking the a box. Right. Um, so I get to his flat in New York, just by the park. And then, and I get in there and he, and I get in there in his massive room. And I remember he has no shoes on and there's just a massive bowl of fruit on the table. And he sends everybody out. There was just some of the producers there and just go, 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 go. And so I was like alone with him in this space and we started chatting and I, and I just sort of uh, about stuff. And then he, and then we get into the story and then he talks for like, this was a three hour meeting. Wow. So for, for two hours, he talks and talks and talks and I'm trying to sort of get a few things in there and he just like, and then sort of two hours into it and he gets up and performs some of the scenes and I'm like, wow, you know, I'm sitting there this suddenly going like, oh, because I thought it was going to be sort of a 10 minute meeting and then thanks very much go and they take the box. So it's two hours in, I started going like, wow, okay, he's really, and then he sat down like, well, but all of this just probably doesn't tell you anything, does it? You you don't get it. <laughs> so I was like, excuse me? And, uh, and he just said, well, and I was like, well, you're not letting me talk. So, you know, yes, I do get it. We do have plays in, in Scandinavia and, you know, there's something, you know, I've studied a lot of Bergman films and he did a lot of theater. And I sort of went into the hall. I think it's a very universal film. And so I sort of got a bit upset and I got a bit sort of punching back. It's like, yeah, thanks. We got theater in, in Scandinavia. And it does relate to me, in fact. And I think it's a very universal story in all of this, you know, even though it is very specific African-Americans in the 50s. But I said there were similarities in other ways. And I sort of gave him a little punch back. And then that took an hour. And then said, like, well, I think we've been through it. He said, you can go. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I left. And I was so upset. And the agents, I walked down Fifth Avenue and the agents called me. and said, what did you say? And I was like, oh, fuck. And they said, well, they, he's offered you the job. It was <gasps> like 20 minutes later. And I was like, I can't take it. 
I want to have it. I can't take it. It's not mine. <laughs> so I reject the job. Wow. <laughs> and they were like, you're, you? you're crazy. You're crazy. I was like, I can't, you know, how am I going to live up to? He's so powerful. He's so passionate. He's so amazing. And I'm not sure I can deal with this. And, you know, how do I live up to the expectations of August Wilson and Denzel Washington and, yeah. you know, amazing producers and uh, Scott Rudin, who produced it. And they together had done it as a play seven years ago. So they knew the story so well and were so set in. They've done that play and won Tonys and things. And I was like, how do you get into this? I mean, that's just... And, and, and everybody was saying to me, be careful, because if you fail, it's a hard one to come back into Hollywood. And Interesting. So I thought, like, you know what? I got to find something else. And they say, they say I'm crazy, and I travel back to Denmark, and two weeks later, and I just said to them, so tell, just tell them. So two weeks later, I get back to Denmark, and the agents called me and said, well, have you considered? And I was like, what do you talk about? I've considered what? I hope you told them. You know, they should move on and get what they need to get. And they're like, well, well, actually, we haven't told them because we just thought you should think about it. That's like, are you crazy? And then they, and then it sort of opened up again because I thought it had gone. Yeah. And I, I thought, okay, I had a chat to Stefan, my husband, and I thought, you know, I have to meet him again. I'd have to go back and feel that we can actually sort of be communicating. So I called my agents and said, I, I would like to meet him again. And they were like, are you saying that you want to, ask Denzel Washington for another meeting. I mean, mm. that's outrageous. Just, right. you know, it's like, yeah, I have to. And they were like, yeah, we don't know how to call him and tell that you want you want an interview sort of thing. And I was in Denmark and anyway, they did. And they got me a flight over. I had the little twins still. So I flew back to from Denmark to LA and I landed in the morning and I was getting on a plane back again in the evening. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like a one day trip to LA. And on the plane, I was thinking, what am I doing? I have asked for an interview, which means I'm going to have to turn up and sort of have something to say. So I was sitting on the plane, realizing how crazy I'm, I'm nobody, you know, and here's somebody. <laughs> what am I going to open the door? I'm going to have to say something. And I sat on the plane rehearsing, you know, thinking I'm going to, I'm going to have to, you know, chin up and go in and, and tell him how I want to collaborate and stuff. And it was so embarrassing. I got to the Paramount lot and got into the waiting area and he was in his office or something and they said oh he's ready for you and so I opened the door like bang open and just walked in and said it came out so wrong I just I'm a collaborator <laughs> <laughs> and he just turned around and looked at me and says oh hello normally you say hello first so you give a <laughs> hug or something he walked up and gave me a big hug and I was like I'm so sorry I just you know I, I'm really I'm really passionate and I'm really I want to collaborate and and he's like, well, so am I. So it's going to work out, isn't it? And I was like, oh, I guess so. Uh, so, okay, well, bye. And so I walked out two minutes later. <laughs> Whoa. Back to Denver. Oh, my so that's God. Quite crazy, sort of, um, <clears throat> it's a really crazy story how, how, to, you know, how I got this film. And I what mean, on earth he saw me that day in, in his, uh, I don't know. But um, anyway. It's an amazing anecdote because I have to admit, I, I, in a way, I feel like you reacted the way anyone would it, I guess. Like, you know, and it's so cool, this build up and this, um, yeah, this story that you just shared with us. It was a crazy with. time. Um, but anyway, I think I was also realizing, you know, we as Scandinavians are very, we try to be very true to ourselves. And and it was, you know, I think there's a difference in culture, you know, that I didn't yeah. just say yes, because you know, I just knew it's it's a it's a big thing, and if I fail, 
you know, and if I can't, and I think, thank God I did it because I think he was aware that, you know what, we're going to collaborate. And I'm telling you, it was the best experience I've ever had. Wow. I mean, I've had some likewise with, with, with Thomas Lindeberg, but I, 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 it was the most collaborative. He gets, he's very passionate. He gets very yeah. upset, but always about the story. You know, I was told yeah. off a few times, but you know, in, in a good, in a very sort of constructive uh, Whereas one day I panned off his face because he was getting angry about some period piece broke and it's like the fourth take and it happened again. And he was about to say, oh, for fuck's sake. So I sort of panned off up to a beautiful, you know, wall with some cracked windows and stuff because I thought he doesn't want that anyway. And he walked in and obviously because he was performing that and he walked in and saw the take afterwards and from the house inside he suddenly, Shalata, get your white ass in here. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. And he just looked at me and said, like, you stick to the, you know, you stay to my face. You do not pan off the money. You know, this is it. And, um, but he is just so wonderful and a true storyteller. And all of this just comes from passion. You know, he knows yeah. where he should be and where the camera should be and, and just, just phenomenal in every way. And it was a, it was a, so the the challenge was also you know the fact that it was all it was all sort of set in in one space and a lot of it took place in this this uh, courtyard outside the back and the way Denzel wanted to approach it was he wanted to he wanted it to to not sort of run away from the play feel while still we're making a movie and it should be cinematic but so we sort of discussed where would the audience be and we sort of decided that our wide shots should be from you know where the you know where you would sort of look upon a stage and things like that so there was a whole sort of theatrical approach in a way mm. to just stay true to the material and to august wilson yeah because so, the uh, oh sorry carry on carry on no i was just gonna say like it the, you get this feeling that you're in a pittsburgh neighborhood like like the the um the backyard like you say the courtyard that they they're, that they're in a lot um especially yeah. early on i just got this feeling like oh man i just want to sit there and sip whiskey with them and chat with them and be yeah. there in yeah. this there's something really beautiful and romantic about this feeling in the streets like in the in this neighborhood that that felt yeah. so warm yeah. and comforting yeah. in some weird way and before it all turns south of course <laughs> before it all turns south, yeah well the first 20 minutes 30 minutes i always say to people who you know just hang in there because it's right. a lot of you know, stories, they tell stories to each other and they sit there and they have, you know, something to drink. And it's a very sort of like, yeah, a warm environment. And I loved that. I loved the intro. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and but it's also wonderful, you know, that somebody dares to stay true to that. And mm. because today a lot of movies is like, you know, you've got to get yeah. somebody getting killed seven minutes in and stuff like that. But this was, you get to know these characters and you get to know his personality and, and, and who he is, you know, this big guy who he's too, too big, you know, for a room, you know, it's yeah. he, um, he, you know, just, just as a character. Um, but it exactly. was, it was a very challenging thing shooting in that. And also because obviously they were, you know, continuous scene. I went into the next day and just the very boring practical side of things of like next day it's rainy and, you know, you're continuing on a scene ex exterior and stuff. So we had, we had to sort of build, we couldn't touch these buildings because they were so old. And so Paramount Studios, they had a health and safety thing and we couldn't touch. So we had to have construction cranes either side of the road to sort of have a big piece of silk so we could control somehow sun and and, um, and rain out. and stuff. 
I mean, a lot, it looks really simple and <laughs> it was really difficult. And I remember yeah. going home and going, did I just shoot beautiful Denzel Washington up against a red brick wall all day long again? I mean... <laughs> It plays a it plays a character in a way that house and like you say the red bricks. Um, there's like an elegance yeah. to it. It's hard to explain until you see it, I guess. But it's it is that perfect blend so of yeah, it's that perfect yeah. blend of a Broadway play with a film. And I think that's what you and him and the whole crew really nailed. You just nailed it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so well done. I, I yeah. loved it, and they should rewind and give Denzel the Oscar and. Probably give you the, yeah. for the cinematography. <laughs> and Oscar well. goes to <laughs> Washington. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'll just um, fast forward a little bit again to Molly's Game. This is the most recent one of yours that I've seen. Um, this one is starring Jessica Chastain, Idris Elba, Kevin Costner, heaps of others, Michael Cera. Um, yeah. Shout out to yeah. his hair in this film, actually, which is pretty yeah. brilliant. <laughs> Um, Molly's Game is from 2017. It's a true story about uh, Molly Bloom, who was a, who was a, sort of an Olympic level skier who who ran the world's most exclusive high stakes poker game um, and became like an FBI target. Um, it's a pretty fascinating story again, and it's directed by Aaron Sorkin. And this is his first film that he directed. Is that right? Because he was famous yeah. as a writer first, or best yeah. known as a writer. Uh, yeah. Before that, he was known for sort of his sharp sharp um scripts like social network he uh moneyball which i love um he even did i think i got this right he even did a few good men which has the famous line you can't handle he must have written that line when he was 20 or something who yeah, knows yeah, yeah. You know. that's so wild Anyway, so I just I, I giggled a lot when I discovered that he wrote that <laughs> you can't handle the truth line. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I saw I saw actually just to touch on Aaron Sorkin a little bit with you. He I saw a fun quote from him uh, a couple of days ago where he says, in regards to writing scripts, he says, "I'll take anywhere between six to eight showers a day. It's all about a fresh start. When I'm writing badly, I take a shower, put on different clothes, so I'll feel refreshed, and then I'll just start again." <laughs> I thought that was really funny, like eight showers a day. <laughs> I mean, he is a funny guy, and I'm telling you, he is just a genius with words. It's incredible. Mm. And rhythm. And um, right. and I think more than anything, for me, working with him, I, and what I really learned was to understand rhythm of a script. Yeah. You know, because that was what he, you know, he doesn't know about lenses. He didn't know necessarily where to put the camera, but he knew you know, when things didn't have the rhythm of of what he was writing and the, you know, whether it was dialogue, it was just the pace of, you know, the scenes. Um and he's so he's a perfectionist, you know. Yeah, so th- yeah. it's a different way of being directed for a cinematographer because I, you know, I offered up a lot and and <clears throat> where to put the camera and what the camera should do and stuff. And and he would he would just comment on, well, it, that track can't take that long. You know, to you have to to go faster or because mm. it won't get this feeling that, you know the rhythm that I'm after so it was it was a very sort of uh, it was sort of a, a one path thing with him but, you know and that rhythm being just about everything that the camera that he was looking for in camera whereas you know he was almost like you know don't want it necessarily to be too beautifully lit or stuff and it's it, so it's and it it really taught me a lot about a, a, a third, you know, 
people always talk about cinematography as, you know, there's frames and there's light and we got to make those two things come together. But there is a third element, which is rhythm. Yeah. And so because moving. And so he just introduced me to that uh, third leg, which really has sort of stayed with me. Um, yeah, very cool. He, I really, really enjoyed working with him. It's a different experience. And he, he is exactly that person that will come down and sort of his change his clothes or, or brand new clothes or something like what what happened yeah. um um yeah anyway so so cool because you're right like what's noticeable about uh, noticeable about his films or the, the scripts that he's written um he's got this distinct kind of quick pace where it's like cut 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 and i think when he yeah. was paired up with fincher there with with social <laughs> network then you could really you know something developed there which i think almost fincher then went on to do again with like gone girl and stuff where it's just like cut cut next scene material just like and the way it just moves and that's sort of a little bit noticeable at the start of this film especially when she's um when she starts out as a skier and it's like you just it moves so quickly which i really liked um but then the film clocks in at almost two and a half hours so how how i thought about you because i was like Man, this is a lot of material. This is this is a comprehensive amount. Like, how long does it take to shoot a film like this? Well, we didn't have much more time than usual. I think we had whatever eight, seven or eight, eight weeks. And because we had a very uh, hard out on Idris Elba, so we had him for ten days, and he had wow. sixty pages. So we were like, "Well, that's easy math. That's you know, that's six pages a day." Um. And some of it, because it was because of other things in the schedule, we ended up having eight pages or something with him a day. So it just means that, you know, it was. <laughs> you got to go, you got to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but a lot of it is like there was so much, like they had so long dialogue scenes and stuff like that. But so we actually, we shot a lot a day. Um, and and some, some of the reason were, were actors and other things. Um, but I mean, the script was 180 pages. Yeah. It, it was a really, really long script. And because there is, but it becomes long because you obviously write out the voiceover and, and the voiceover goes over, yeah, you know, what you film, see. Right? So yeah. In some ways the nature of, of, of it just, just becomes longer, but it was a long, is it two and a half hours? It's around, I think it's 220. Yeah. It's a long yeah. movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was a bit of a blur actually. Sure. Sure. Because <laughs> we were so busy and it's rhythm 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 it's, it's all i remember is like oh my god you know um, yeah could you tell that he could you tell that it was his first film as a director or not really um yeah because i mean the, the camera work and and the thing is you know aaron has been on set so much with his previous um films and with david finch's you know what he said and so he's 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 very experienced um he's an experienced filmmaker but so, you know, it, 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 I did and I didn't. I did in terms of sort of collaborating with a, with a cinematographer and talking about shots and things, which he from the beginning said, well, you offer it up and I'll tell you what I think. You know, so it, it worked out actually quite. And, but because he, he obviously knows his script inside out. Yeah. Um, that becomes his directing. And so I don't, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like a first time director. It was like, yeah. Once again, you know, it's another legend and and yeah. um, you can only respect that they come into the world, you know, to, to the film with a backpack full of experiences and stuff they've done. Same with Denzel, you know, so it's 
it's um it's just a different you know it's a different approach working with Denzel yeah. working with Thomas working with you know Aaron Sorkin and it teaches you I've been very lucky I think to work with very different directors which yeah. constantly forms you and you know bring something totally so but when you when you got after fences and then you're here are you sort of no longer rattled like no matter what kind of the caliber of the star that you're actually filming there's no more of that in or not insecurity but you know um we all feel a little bit out of our depths now and then has, has all of that gone by now <clears throat> i mean it depends, but I think every time you, when you start a movie, it, it goes away because mm. it's, it's, it's what we do. And, and um, yeah, it, it, it's, you sort of disappear in, into all the practicalities and you've got issues to solve together and stuff like that, you know? So it's, it's, um, it, but then again, I don't want to say it doesn't come back, you know, sure, when you sure. meet your big fans of or, you know, when you ask Denzel Washington for an interview, you suddenly feel like I'm not, I'm not supposed to, you know, this is not my, <laughs> this is not what I should do. So and you true. suddenly become aware of, you know, who they are and yeah. So cool. Well, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd love to like zoom in more and more on heaps more films, but I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I've just got a, a, a couple more questions more about you personally, uh, also outside of work, but also, also about women in the film biz, because I'm proud to say that I actually know two uh, DOPs, female DOPs, and now three. <laughs> um, yeah. While I was sort of researching a little for this, I noticed that despite all of the darkness that 2020 brought us last year, that it was the record for the most films directed by women sort of on record yeah. last year, which is very yeah. cool. Like, do, do you notice it now over there, especially in Hollywood, or do you notice yeah. this bigger, larger uh, female presence? Yeah. I think I think it is it, it absolutely. I think it's it's very present. I think it's it's just becoming more normal, which which is um, where we need to get to, yeah. you know. But we also need to get out of sort of forcing it, and and so there's a there's a you know we needed this sort of wave to come, but but I think a lot of people also a bit sick and tired of that wave, you know, so it's, it's, it, it, you know, hopefully can land and it just becomes, you know, about the talent and just people opening eyes for the fact that a lot of women has a lot of talent, you know, and it's yeah. not a big deal. It's like, it's like, give them a, give them a shot, give them a chance. And I think that's, um, it's been really, really important. Um, and I, it, it happened, it, it happened after, you know, because I got going with Girl on a Train, Fences, and it happened right around Fences that suddenly, you know, this whole Me Too wave came on. And and so having been been part of it and yet again sort of fought my way through somehow before, it's been quite interesting to see how the change has really sort of made – it's made an effect on everybody and on yeah. people and how they work with you and how the awareness of things and stuff like that, which I think is – it's definitely a healthy thing. Yeah. But we also, everybody also wants it to be normal. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Can re- I can understand that. Wait. And I think hopefully we're yeah. heading towards that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I yeah. definitely yeah. wanted to pick your brain a little on that. Um, yeah, because it's, 
it's about talent, you know, and it is yeah. about who's right for the story. And nobody really wants to be picked um, because they're a woman or because they're black or because they're Chinese or because they're something else, you know, you want because they want you. So it, there's also something slightly uncomfortable about it because it's like, oh, gosh, is it, you know, why? Yeah. Um, but that's also, you know, you have to be an individual in all this. And I try to sort of when I go into meetings, like, for instance, the Denzel one, I, you know, <laughs> my my thought was it's a ticking a box. But then when I was in it, I had to, I knew it's not. And then I had yeah. to trust that. You I had to trust back. that. No, he'd seen far from the Madden crowd and that was it, you know. So it's and then not sort of keep um, pushing that thought that it's maybe just because you have to trust that. No, I feel that they picked me because, because they've seen something and they thought I would be right for the story. So, um, cool. so there's some sort of, you know, people being in and women out there, just, you know, trust yourself and just yep. be, don't, you know, don't keep fighting that battle. Also just, you know, focus on the, it's really great advice and it's, yeah, it's inspiring stuff also for, <laughs> you know, a male songwriter, any, any sort yeah. of artist, female, it's exactly. really inspiring. So juggling life with three kids, I mean, this is something that I, I have a daughter, I only have one, <laughs> um, yeah. and I'm a you know songwriter in a band, now podcaster apparently. How yeah. the hell do you do that? How are you yeah. a mum and doing all this amazing uh, Hollywood work? Well, it sounds crazy, but the one thing is to not try, don't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> because once you start analysing it and... and it's it's complicated you know and it's yeah. it's uh, almost undoable if you start thinking about all the things that that it requires traveling with three kids and schools and you know feelings and and stuff like that um so i think we're very we actually try not to dig into it too much yeah. we've had we have a few things my husband stefan and i just saying trusting that we will know when it's not right you know, so if one of them starts crying a lot or peeing in bed or whatever it can be that you sort of feel like, <clears throat> you know, that you should you should notice, we, we, we have to tell ourselves, well, maybe it's because we are traveling a lot, but thank God there's none of that yet. But I think we've That's sort of just, just trusting that <clears throat> if it isn't okay, we will know. And let's just have an, an eye and an ear to that without overanalyzing it. So, you know, I think we try and, think about it in a very sort of simple way you know they're lucky to they they got two languages they fluent much much better at english than we are mm. um and they've you know, been going to american schools and english schools and so they got a second language that's fluent and they got a lot of friends around the world so we we also focus on telling them that you know and then we've done another thing which is we kept our little house in denmark so yeah. that there's a base and that they feel that's their room, that's their garden, that's their kitchen. And it's that's expensive, but it's the one thing that we felt, you know, we're out on adventures. Yeah. We're we're it's like a fairy tale. We can go out and do stuff, but we if anybody is unhappy, we can return to this place. So and so we sort of set it up in a very, very simple way and we just like we just go. Um but you know, it takes that everybody, all five of us are happy doing it and and luckily Stefan's work, he's also a musician. Um, yeah. uh, can, he can write and do his things, you know, he, he doesn't play with a band, so that makes it easier, but it's, he's sort of set up his life and is enjoying the travels as well. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, I so mean, cool. a lifestyle. It is. And it's a really fascinating one. Um, thanks for 
letting us in on it a little bit and um and for going going there into those amazing stories about some of you know these amazing films that along your journey along your career um thanks so much for coming on thank you for having me it was really fun oh good i'm glad and um yeah thanks again i'll let, let's stay in touch and I'll, I'll